Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The conversation continues with Brian McLean and Steve Hook at State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, well, here we are. It's hour two, which means it's the final hour of the week on State of the Nation on today's News Talk. And uh, boy, I must say, uh, Hash, that was an interesting interview with Joey. I, uh, I'll i be honest with you. I didn't know that she was going to be that honest when it came to the uh, the woke virus that has infected Hollywood, but she uh, she was very straight up about it. Yep, it's real, and uh, they're not going to give it up. Yeah, yeah, no, she's a delight, man. I always enjoy speaking with Joe. She speaks her mind. She doesn't appear to be, you know, hyper-partisan in any direction, just very common sense-oriented, very professional, and really fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it certainly was. Hey, listen, um, I just want to, as we get into this, I want to talk, kind of circle back to what we were talking about with uh, Havore and uh the attack on journalists in this country. And I'm not talking about the talking heads that spew the CCP talking points. Um, no, I'm talking about, yeah, those aren't journalists. Those are, uh, uh propagandists yeah. talking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. They're like the Baghdad Bob, if you'll remember him. Well, that's what we've got right now. I don't know how journalists can look themselves in the mirror and feel good about their profession. I'd put journalism these days, uh, about two rungs below uh, high-level call girls. Actually, maybe not even maybe not even that high. Maybe they're just uh, you know I I just have a tough time with them. And what's mainstream going journalism. on? Journalism. I got to I got a mainstream journalism because we yeah, have a that's lot of I mean. really real journalists. You know, muckrakers and such. But these are the people that we're talking about now, like Steve Baker, like others. You know, uh, yeah, like and, us. And, and, and yeah, like us, and and like Catherine Herridge, for example. And I just, I just think that, uh, that journalists, if you work for a, a mainstream media company these days, it's almost, uh, it's, it's almost uh, part of the checklist or they checking the boxes. It's like, will they carry the water for the DNC? Yes. Check you're hired. Uh, that's what it seems to be these days. And here's the deal. Uh, after CBS news firing of Catherine Herridge, uh, uh, Catherine Herridge has been held in civil contempt by, and this will come as no shock, an Obama appointed judge for protecting her confidential sources in this FBI investigation. I'm reading from Jim Hoft over at the Gateway Pundit. The judge ordered Catherine Herridge to turn over her sources in response to a lawsuit that was filed by the Chinese American scientist Yanping Chen against the FBI. Chen subpoenaed Herridge in an effort to find out who her sources were. However, the Obama judge concluded that Chen's right to the evidence in the lawsuit supersedes the qualified privilege afforded to journalists under the First Amendment. So a Chinese uh, a Chinese guy has more rights than an American journalist does. Uh, quote, the court recognizes both the vital importance of a free press, yeah, right, uh, and the critical role that confidential sources play in the work of investigative journalists uh, like Herridge. This is the Judge Cooper. She wrote in a ruling uh, back in August. But then she says, but applying the the binding case law of this circuit, the court concludes that Chen's need for the requested evidence overcomes 
Harridge's qualified First Amendment privilege in this case. So there you go. There's an Obama appointed appointed judge saying you need to give deference to the to the Chinese guy, and he should have every right to all of the sources that Catherine Harridge has used over the years of investigative journalism. Hash. That's where we are as a country right now. Amazing. You know, I almost want to ask, um, is that a Chinese American or a Chinese national? But I don't know, even know if it matters because in San Francisco, I had this on my notes last week. We just didn't quite get to it. In San Francisco, they just put a non-citizen Chinese speaking person on the city council. And when she gave her statement, she gave it in Cantonese or, you know, whatever uh, language she speaks, Mandarin. I, I could not believe what i was seeing it was just like is this a joke is this are we being trolled like what is going on here you know and it goes yeah. right back to like like you said we were talking with Havori. it goes right back to a communist takeover of the country and i'm not saying that directed at any chinese person in particular talking about the entire paradigm that they are foisting upon us and this is lawfare against katherine harridge this is simply lawfare you know more lawfare against a journalist now just like Steve Baker, just like uh, yep. j- just like Steve Baker, and and, and this is going to continue. And and to that to that story you're talking about, it really is staggering, especially given what her position is. She's now in charge. She's the commissioner of uh, the commission of election integrity, and it's a Chinese yeah. woman that is not even a citizen. And there you go. <laughs> so she could. She, I can't she help can't, but laugh. What I know, what she can't hell? even vote. She cannot even vote, <laughs> but. She's in charge of election integrity. Well, maybe she'll fix that. She'll fix that whole she can't vote part in her position, perhaps. Wouldn't that be just fitting? It's absolutely staggering. This country, man, I'm telling you what. You know, I mean, there was a long time, Ash, where I would always defend this country, especially against Europeans and, and folks in the UK and all over saying, oh, your country is so screwed up. And I'd say, get out of here. We saved your bacon back in uh, back in 45. <laughs> you know, we rebuilt the goddamn continent with the Marshall Plan. And we had a lot to be proud of. But right now, when they start badmouthing the United States of America, let's not badmouth the country. But when you start badmouthing the government, there's a lot more of us over here that would say, you are right. Uh, yeah. And this is a perfect example of it. It's just so staggering. Hey, listen, do you have a suggestion for a pop- possible guest you'd like to hear on TNT? Or maybe a topic that you feel that we need to discuss? Well, we want to hear from you. If that's the case, simply uh, complete a suggestion form over on the TNT website, and you can help us make a difference on today's News Talk TNT. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio TNT. All right, we are so happy to welcome our next guest because we always love to see Gene Valentino. Gene, of course, a GOP political strategist. He's the host of the Grassroots Truth Cast podcast. And uh, and he's also, of course, you can find him at genevalentino.com. Gene, hello there, sir. It's always a pleasure to see you. Happy Friday to you. How are you? Happy Friday to you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's good to have you here. Uh, we figured we'd just kind of spitball it uh, because we don't have you for long today, but there's a lot going on. Right now, the Fannie Willis uh, thing is happening. Uh, we haven't been watching it for the last hour, Gene, but I know you're kind of a news junkie. Uh, I saw some of the arguments from uh, the, uh, the the defendant's case. That'd be the people fighting against uh, uh, 
Fannie and company. They made some pretty good points. Uh, how's it look, uh, this uh, this judge? How do you think this guy's going to come down on this? Well, good catch, Steve, because I have been keeping an eyeball on it. And I must tell you, the uh, uh, the Trump side of the case against Fannie Willis is scoring big, in my opinion, uh, before the judge. The uh, the prosecutorial claims against Trump through the uh, uh, and the defense uh, are are causing a little bit more question and concern uh, from the judge. I've noticed that um, the defense of Trump against uh, against the Willis claim to have Willis removed is looking very good, in my opinion. I'm not a lawyer, but the arguments are are, are being held up very good, very well against um, uh, uh, against the uh, prosecution. I do think that we are at a point in time where we have to take a hard look. I've said this to you in the past. We look at the issue. I enjoy talking about the issue. But then I like taking a step back and saying, where's this coming from? And in this case, we in our society here in the States and the rest of the world is watching, need to be ever mindful that we need to up the ante. We need to up the standards. We need to improve our game and uh, not only in the uh, administration, not only in Congress, but in the judicial, in the judiciary, uh, you know, the Department of Justice in general needs a complete facelift and uh, a, a raising of the bar, so to speak. The, the, the standards of justice, the selective prosecution, the... Um, the prejudice going into cases, if not by the prosecutor himself or herself, but by the by the judges, openly, um, uh, as, are so um, are looked at so badly as the beginning of the end of a true constitutional republic sitting against the backdrop of a greater democracy. I I'm I'm concerned about that. Yeah, we are too, Gene. You know, um, lawfare seems to be uh, sort of the name of the game today here on the show. Uh, We were just talking about Blaze News investigative writer Steve Baker being handcuffed and charged with quote-unquote nonviolent misdemeanors uh, through a microphone. I don't know what that means. I'm guessing he's sitting in a cell right now wondering what that means too. And there's a group of lawyers sitting around a table going, (laughs) wait a minute, Uh, First Amendment says this. FBI says uh, Steve Baker uh, committed nonviolent misdemeanors on his microphone um, and at his at his keyboard. Uh, I mean, this is this is pretty dark. And we look we talked about Catherine Herridge also uh, another one. Now she's faced with lawfare. Uh, it kind of seems like what Trump said, like you know, hey, if 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 we let them do this to me, they're gonna come for you next. I mean, uh, I don't think any of those people have said anything that millions of Americans haven't said on their social media, their podcasts, their blogs. I mean, this is pretty pretty scary. Yeah, and don't forget about former General Mike Flynn working for uh, President Trump, uh, or even more so, uh, Paul Manafort campaign head for Trump in the earlier years, serving a solitary confinement uh, and we still uh, cannot forget all of those incarcerated today as we speak uh, uh, from the January 6th 
event. I will not call it an insurrection. It was an event, all right. And I think it was a staged event by the deep state uh, Democrats uh, led by Nancy Pelosi when she refused to listen to Cash Patel and Donald Trump's offer to bring in 30,000 National Guardsmen one or two days prior to the January 6th event. Why is it the same media is forgetting about that part of the story? These people are unjustly being held and it drives to that solution I seek in a constitutional amendment which drives to penalties against elected officials and their appointees and these bureaucrats for 10, three, four, five decades in government um, working behind the political puppeteers and, and 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 controlling this narrative, which has now gotten out of hand. We need a shakeup and some of these people need to pay the price, not just Paul Manafort and not just these uh, people incarcerated from January 6th. And what about uh, um, uh, Peter Navarro? I watched, I watched Peter Navarro's comments at CPAC. Yeah. Heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking, compelling and heartbreaking. Absolutely, yeah. uh, Brian. He he's he, he that was heartbreaking. Can you imagine being cuffed like that and uh, chained uh, an, uh, uh, ankle um, chains in an airport uh, with a suit on? Uh, they couldn't take him out um, uh, civilly. Uh, it, it's a st- sideshow. And how about uh, Roger Stone uh, banging on his door at five in the morning with an FBI raid? And only CNN got tipped off an hour or two prior to have their cameras ready outside Roger Stone's home as they banged down his door. This is staged. That's the insurrection. And uh, I think there's going to and what they're fearing, what what I think all these Beltway um, swamp creatures are fearing is the potential of Trump coming in. Now they are fearful more than ever, because as you can imagine, he's probably going to do an enema on that place. And um, a lot of them are going to be gone, if not uh, 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 charged themselves for wrongdoing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, Gene. I I, I agree with that completely. The the fear on that side is palpable because they know damn good and well uh, that that, that if, if they lose the keys to the kingdom, then all of their secrets are going to be revealed. And I have a funny feeling that if Trump were to win again, he is not going to hesitate and he is going to say, this is what you need to know and start calling some of these media and jer- quote unquote journalists out for playing along with this game. That's what sickens me. And I, yeah. I you know, I, I just, I, what, what really freaks, what really scares me and really kind of gives me pause is that when you talk about the Peter Navarros, when you talk about Roger Stone, there are a lot of people in this country that are going, good, screw them. They're with Trump. He's an insurrectionist. These people have absolutely no idea of the truth of this matter. They're just taking what Anderson Cooper and God knows Joy Behar and Whoopi, they're taking that as gospel and they don't even know the truth. And there's, you know... I've said it before. I'll say it again. Willfully blind is one thing, but willful stupidity is completely unacceptable. And that's what we have in this country. Uh, Thankfully, I think that some people are waking up to it, but uh, it's pretty scary. You hit the nail on the head, Steve. You know, 
uh, we have a term of eminent domain in this country where we use where the government has the right to come in and seize property or use it for the gr greater good of the public. I think we need to use the same concept of eminent domain and go after the thousands of acres China has been allowed to buy in the United States because of their perpetuation of willful wrongdoing. And you can't tell me that the 29,000 Chinese, primarily males between 18 and 30 years of age that have illegally crossed over the border are opening up uh, Chinese restaurants or uh, uh, special um, businesses in the community without lawfully coming through to become legal citizens. You can't tell me, I, I fear that this is a... Um, an insurrection of its own that's going to evidence itself, I fear it'll make 9-11 pale in comparison. And that's my concern for this nation. We must be aggressive on taking back land. And oh, by the way, getting China out of our stock market and uh, not allowing us to, tr uh, allowing them to trade on our exchanges until we see some reciprocity uh, from them to allow us to trade on theirs. Gene, yeah. we're just about out of time, but you have triggered me as we run out of time here. My family had land taken from them by the federal government in an eminent domain seizure. Beautiful piece Serious. of land. Beautiful wow. piece of land. And all they did with it was build a launch pad on it. They took the entire coastline in California and they built... Uh, what is it? is it? I think it's Vandenberg. I believe Vandenberg. Is it Vandenberg? I can't remember. It's over there near Lompoc, California. Beautiful piece of land gone. And now we have Bill Gates and the CCP owning land here after they've taken land from Americans and now taking freedom from Americans, taking First Amendment rights away from Americans. It makes the three of us sick. Agreed, boys? Agreed. Blood is boiling. Which is, which is today's term that I leave you with. It's called consentient. Consentient means of the same opinion on a given matter or being in agreement. <laughs> there Here we are. are. Well, I'm consentient with you, Gene. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> GeneValentino.com is the website. Check out the Grassroots Truthcast with Gene Valentino. Visit him on X. You can find a link to that on his website, genevalentino.com. Gene, thanks for joining us here at State of the Nation. Have a great weekend, my friend. You too, my friend. Have a good day. All right. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT. TNT's Jason Olborn. Donald Trump today defeated Nikki Haley in South Carolina, some 61 to 39% in that primary event there, which almost secures him the obviousness that he's going to be the Republican candidate. And Nikki Haley, as many might know, was the governor of South Carolina and she couldn't hold that state. And yet she persists in hanging in there, almost white-anting the system and just being one of those hands that looks like she's representing the globalist interests rather than the interests of the people who are supporting the Republicans, which is anything but pro-establishment. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT.
You are about to have to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. After 26 years in the U.S. Navy and now a banking executive, Joe Frazier is entering the Republican race for the U.S. Senate in Minnesota. He's a first-time candidate, and he's hoping to face Amy Klobuchar in November. Uh, he wants to get government spending under control. That's a big priority of his uh, out there in Minnesota. He's also got strong opinions on immigration and the issues the country faces now with the border. I'm here in Texas, and I would say that my border is your border, is his border. It's all our border right now. Joe Frazier joins us now. Hello, sir. Welcome to State of the Nation. That's a big seat you're looking to fill, uh, but one that a lot of people would like to see you be elected to, considering who the incumbent is. What? Tell us, first off, what got you started? What got you to the point where you said, you know what, I'm pausing what I'm working on and I'm going to add this to it. I'm going to announce my bid for candidacy. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me this afternoon. I greatly appreciate you extending me the opportunity to uh, share some uh, some thoughts and ideas with you and your listeners. Um, you know, after 26 years, you, you kind of hang up your uniform. You say, all right, I, I've done my thing. I've served my country. You know, I'm going to go off and I'm going to spend some more time with my family and and kind of enjoy uh, some of that liberty and freedom that you, you have fought for. Uh, and then you look around and you see the people who are supposedly making the decisions for the country and you're like, no, nah, I can't let this happen. So it's time to put the mantle, uh, you know, take take the mantle back on and, and go back into uh, public service. Uh, this time just wearing a blazer instead of, uh, you know, instead of body armor, which I will preface, I didn't wear a lot of body armor while I was in the Navy. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. And you know, it's interesting. You said you're from a border state. Well, I, I grew up in California. I went to school in Texas, uh, in Texas, uh, Texas A&M. And I right. now live in my third border state. And I'll tell you, the, the borders are being affected, whether they're down south or up north. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's great to see you, Joe. And we certainly do wish you well. I, I don't think it's a secret that you've got your work cut out for you. Amy Klobuchar has got, got a big war chest. She's got a lot of money. She's got name recognition. And frankly, she's from Minnesota. Minnesota's blue. It's been blue for decades. But this isn't the Hubert Humphrey uh, Minnesotan uh, Democrats of, of, of yesteryear. Uh, Amy Klobuchar tries to uh, position herself as moderate. But as far as I'm concerned, and I think a lot of Americans would agree, any Democrat these days that supports anything that's going on in this country right now uh, at the hands of the Biden administration is not a moderate. I don't care how many times they say it. They're not a moderate if you can't stand up and say, seal the border. You mentioned northern border. You guys have got a border, too. And we're hearing that record numbers are crossing the northern border. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so right now, the, the biggest northern border threats that we have in Minnesota is drugs uh, coming across the northern border. We're seeing our partner uh, state next door, North Dakota, is actually seeing record numbers of illegal crossings. And of course, if you go up to the northeast corridor, you're seeing a lot more uh, in the Vermont, New Hampshire area. Um, and, and, you know, Amy Klobuchar has voted 98.5% of the time for Joe Biden and his reckless spending policies, you know, and, and we've experienced 17.9% inflation during the three years that he's been in office. Uh, she's also voted for Chuck Schumer in New York 99% of the time. So you're absolutely right. She comes across, tries to play herself as a moderate, uh, plays herself as a bipartisan candidate. But, uh, you know, she is the senator of little things. She doesn't do big things because big things are hard and big things require 
to do things that might necessarily make your party a little bit unhappy. Uh, you know, so as far as the timing is concerned, I don't think it could be any better. Uh, fourth terms here for Minnesota are very unusual. Not a big fan of it around the around the state. Uh, the second thing is that it's, uh, you know, it is, it's not necessarily a blue state. It's a very purple state. And once you get outside of the Twin Cities areas, especially when you get into the suburbs like where I live, and you get a little farther out, uh, outside the uh, the cone of silence that is the Twin Cities area, you start to see a very different dynamic. And, you know, people's appetites here for career politicians has definitely changed. Uh, for the first time in her career, she's below 50 percent on a reelectable rate. Uh, she's tied to a heavily uh, underperforming um, president. And his foreign policy and national policies are actually a, a, a domestic display. Uh, dis- uh, mess, uh, or I should say disaster. Uh, so I, I think really, yeah, she's, she's got name recognition, but, uh, you know, so what it's, I think when people look at it, her record and they look at her performance, uh, it's going to be time for a change this fall. Yeah. You know, and, and getting back to that border issue, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your website. I watched you interviewed on, um, on the news at ABC and you talk a lot about balancing the budget. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious. It seems to me that at this point, after um, all the details we've gotten out of California, if your situation is anything similar policy-wise, legislative-wise, balancing the budget would actually probably be part and parcel with fighting the border problem because so much money, so many tax dollars are going into supporting these people. Um, and that doesn't even mention the people that are suffering from fentanyl abuse and, and crime and all these other things. So, I mean, those those do kind of dovetail pretty tightly for you, I would imagine. Absolutely. And, and you look at the rest of the way that the government spends its money. There's plenty of opportunity to create savings and efficiencies. I mean, as a matter of fact, that's what I do uh, for a living is I find opportunities for savings and efficiencies inside of small or large corporations. And we look to increase increase productivity lower the cost and deliver the consumer uh, exactly what they're looking for, right? It's all about customer satisfaction. The government should be looking at the same way. I wanna be able to deliver services to you that are efficient, effective, and cost-effective. And we can get there. Uh, you know, I was pointing out to somebody uh, this last week, we had our caucuses here, and somebody said, well, you know, what makes you qualified? I said, well, I actually have a master's in business administration in government acquisitions. I actually know how the government goes through the requirements process to, to buy things. I know how they build its budget from the inside. I'm not just some rubber stamp lawmaker. I'm not somebody who has no idea how the government functions. So, uh, you know, I think I have the knowledge that even Klobuchar doesn't have after 18 years of understanding the specific nuances of where we can find efficiencies and where we can find saves. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Joe, we have to take a real quick headline break, but we're going to come right back to you. And I just want to... Uh, I kind of, you, you mentioned something I think is so true. Yeah, she has name recognition. So what? So what you're basically saying, especially with those poll numbers you're putting out, her, her name recognition may not be such a good thing in her case after all. So we'll come back and we'll touch a little bit more on the race as we get closer to it. We're speaking with Joe Frazier. He is a, uh, he is a candidate, hopefully to replace Amy Klobuchar in the Senate. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk. TNT. And action. The news. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. 
In the Rochdale by-election, Gaza George Galloway, a veteran far-left campaigner formerly known as Gorgeous George, secured a significant victory, describing Labour and the Conservatives as two sides of the same backside that have been well and truly spanked. Former President Donald Trump is set to host Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban for a private meeting at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida next week, as confirmed by a source from Orban's team to the Epoch Times. The Common Housefly Caught in the clutches of the spider's web Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Okay, this is State of the Nation. We are speaking with Joe Frazier. Joe is running for the uh, for a Senate seat, hoping to replace Amy Klobuchar uh, in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. Uh, Joe, I would tell you that um, <laughs> uh, I, I just want to say this just as, as an aside. My mom, years ago, she's since passed, she dated Walter Mondale. <laughs> And we used to say, how was Walter Mondale? She said, I didn't even the know most, that. You're, you're breaking I, I, that I never, now? I, I'm breaking it on you now. It's the first time we've had a Senate candidate from Minnesota, so I have to break it. My mother was from St. Paul. My father was from Minneapolis. Father was a strong conservative. Mother was, well, she was a, I, I don't know if she'd be a Democrat today, but who knows? At any rate, I asked her how Walter Mondale was. She said, the most boring man I've ever met in my life. They went out, they went out twice. <laughs> and said she'd never do it again. That's an aside. I just thought I'd uh, to, to lighten the mood a little bit. Now let's talk about this race, though, um, Joe, because here we are. In um, do you have any primary challenges yet? Uh, are you the only one on the Republican side that's thrown in? There are a couple of other individuals who have declared. Uh, right now, we're going through the endorsement process for the party before we even get to the primary. The primary for us is very late in the year. It's in August. So really, for us, it's the it's kind of like what you're seeing at the national level. We're going through a primary process, a kind of or the caucus process here, to get in uh, enough delegates to get endorsed by the party in May, uh, and then we proceed through the summertime for campaigning, and then we do the the primary in the August uh, timeframe. So there are a couple of candidates, but um, I haven't seen them around at any events. Uh, I've been the the active one, engaged with the party, engaged with the caucus delegates, uh, and doing things like this. So. Hey, yeah. well, this is this is we're here for you on that one, um, Steve. I don't know, but I was just looking at uh, at at uh, Joe's website here, and and he's pointed out that um, Klobuchar she she won her first election in 06. Do you remember what the national debt was in 06? I mean, I think it was a little smaller than it is now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can answer that question if if Steve had remembered. Yeah, to tell us. No, tell please, us. please. I, I got the numbers here, I, but I want to hear it from it you. Was, it was a little bit between nine and ten trillion dollars. So, uh, in her in her time in office, uh, she's amassed. Um, and, and I'll I give the break when everybody says, "Oh, well, you know, that's uh, you know, was it twenty five trillion dollars has been added to the national deficit during her time frame?" I subtract eight trillion. Uh, that's five trillion dollars for COVID, and then the tax uh, tax cuts by the Trump uh, administration during his time. So I take that eight eight trillion out. And I still lay, you know, about seventeen trillion dollars at her feet on top of the uh, the rest of the spend, um, which is roughly about a trillion dollars a year that she has been responsible for adding to the national deficit. 
That's pretty gracious, don't you think, Steve? Take that, take those trillions out, and still come up with a number take like it, that. It. I mean, how do you argue? I mean, yeah, yeah no I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be nice, but I, I mean, still, at the end of the day, it, it's still uh, thirty-four trillion dollars is one hundred and twenty percent of our GDP. Uh, that's unsustainable. Uh, we need to shore up our our uh, critical mandatory expenses like Medicare, Social Security, uh, Medicaid. Make sure that those are there, and then get and that all goes tying it back into balancing the budget, making sure that we're doing the right things, and then over time we build in the debt reduction plan, um, so we can get GDP growing faster by through job re- uh, generation uh, that expands the tax base, which means we can lower taxes a little bit more uh, to create more job opportunities, and retire that debt. We'll never get it all the way down to zero, but I'd love to get it back down to $9 trillion. How sad is that? I mean, it's, it really is It really is amazing how much money we're frittering away. And the thing that's so bad, uh, and Hesher brought this up with our, with, our for, with our previous guest, is it's bad enough that they're spending money as fast as they can get it, even faster than they can get it, if we're honest, because a lot of this is it's just printed money from the fed but we're also at the same time we have a wide open southern border so our debt is going to exponentially get larger and larger with each passing hour what has klobuchar said about that what is her position on the border what is her position on this spending i haven't seen any of her positions quite honestly that have been worthwhile she's been part uh, you know part of the bipartisan Senate uh, law or a proposal that was pushed forward a couple of weeks ago. But really all that is, is putting a Band-Aid on a sucking chest wound. It doesn't actually address the root causes of why we have this influx of immigration at the southern border. It doesn't address uh, actually doing anything to solve the problems internally uh, that we have to do. I want to get us to an Ellis Island of the 21st century uh, that actually has a complete immigration reform that has a process put into place where we can be much more efficient and we can actually secure our borders to ensure that we're bringing in hardworking people who want to become Americans, who want to contribute to the betterment of our society and the betterment of their way of life. Um, I haven't seen any proposal from her that actually does that. I see more of the same from her uh, and uh, otherwise institutionalized uh, politicians who continue to do the minimum amounts in order to get reelected. Yeah. Amazing how they do that and still get so much money from their benefactors. I mean, it really makes a job like yours uh, very difficult, I'm sure, but you've got what it takes. Uh, We definitely wish the best for you. And uh, our platform is open to you. You're welcome to come back and tell us how it's going. You know, we want to get your website out there, joe4senate.com. That's F-O-R. I don't know how he got that URL. It's awesome. (laughs) joe4senate.com. You can follow Joe on x.com at Joe Frazier, M-N, that's F-R-A-S-E-R-M-N. Joe, I'll give it to you for the final minute here. I'll let you take us out, but I'm curious if you could um, just briefly tell us also, um, are you, is your state suffering from the fentanyl crisis also? How bad is it there? It is. It is bad, especially when you're getting into the out country, uh, out part of the state where we do have a lot of illicit drugs impacting uh, impacting our, our, our citizens here. It's it, we got to get on to this and we got to stop talking about it. We got to stop sending the same people back, expecting them to solve our problems or at least try to come up with solutions that work because they won't. They're not going to do it. Um, you know, my time in service, uh, it's taught me one thing is, you know, identify the problem. Uh, identify the solutions or the recommended courses of action that you're going to take, and then you go tackle it. 
And if that doesn't work, you pivot to try to get to the end state so you can actually defeat the adversary. And so um, my goal is to do that. Uh, and I look forward to coming back to you sometime and hopefully we can get on further conversations about foreign policy and the national security threats that are coming from China, Russia and Iran uh, and terrorism. And uh, hopefully uh, we can celebrate together this uh, this fall in November when we put Amy Klobuchar and her her gang on the unemployment line. Let's there do it. Go. Let's do it. We are Steve and I are looking forward to welcoming future Senator Frazier to State of the Nation right here again joeforsenate.com get out there and support him and remember you can support these candidates that we bring on this show from any state because we need all of them everywhere so get on out there and do that at joeforsenate.com joe frazier best of luck and we'll look forward to having you back on again real soon have a great weekend sir thanks guys i appreciate it you gotta have a good one too all right right. this is state of the nation on today's news talk tnt De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Mark Marano was certainly a national treasure, at least he is in my opinion. We're blessed to have him here on TNT. Anyway, he runs Climate Depot. And Climate Depot is a great place to go if you want to really take a look at some of the lunacy that's going on here. I warn you, it's probably going to get your blood pressure up. AKCNN came out with a blog, How EVs Became Such a Massive Disappointment. Now, one of my favorite movies is Casablanca. And I love the scene at the end where the police captain comes in and claims he's shocked that gambling is going on in this particular joint that was being run by Rick, right? AKA Humphrey Bogart. Well, remember the words, I'm shocked, shocked that this is going on. Well, when I look at this CNN headline, how EVs became such a massive disappointment, I'm shocked, shocked that this is happening. Who wants to buy a car unless you're gonna putter around your house and it's like a glorified golf cart. I should say your neighborhood rather than the house. Who wants to buy that? Its battery is so heavy that it immediately puts excess pressure on the front of the car and your braking system. That's the first thing. Second thing, where are all the parts coming from? How are we making all these batteries? Just how are you going to put up with having to take 40 minutes to charge your car? What happens if you happen to live where it's cold? And believe it or not, despite global warming, much of the world is cold in their winter season. So I'm shocked, shocked that CNN has found out about all this. If you go to Climate Depot, you can read about it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat. A chance to learn, to get an education, and do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams. 
by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more, so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. Interviews, news, and views. This is State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian McLean. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Jane Austen oh. is Brit is oh sorry <laughs> sorry Steve I just Steve no you go right over you Steve. go not nah, yeah okay all right well we're going to talk about Jane Austen with our next guest here and uh, Steve and I are actually talking in the middle of the break there tripping over each other because we're realizing how much about Jane Austen we've forgotten or maybe didn't even know so uh, her novels have been published in over forty languages they've been updated for the widest audience possible across all cultural media. Her profile is global. Pride and Prejudice alone has sold more than 20 million copies, having never been out of print. And uh, the year 2025, coming up soon here, marks 250 years since the birth of Jane Austen. Steve and I were wowing at that during the break there. So it's a milestone anniversary. It is significant. And joining us now to discuss this landmark, uh, moment in literary history is our correspondent for literature and culture, Bazed Lit Analyzer from the Bazed Lit Analyzer YouTube channel. Bazed, happy Friday. Welcome to the show. Tell us about Jane Austen. Hey, happy Friday, everybody. Yes, Jane Austen um, is, it's pretty incredible uh, a story, a literary story. I mean, this is again, it's 250th anniversary of her death and uh, she's firmly in the canon, um, very extremely popular. Even today, she's one of the most popular writers, um, especially for, especially for women of really of all ages, but she's, you know, she's crosses boundaries firmly in the canon, Emma, Pride and Prejudice. They recently uh, remade well, recently, within the past 10 years, uh, remade one of her books, Pride and Prejudice, into Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which was a novel. And then they made it into a film. And it's a, it's a, it's great. It's really fun. Um, this is like what's best, I think, about literature is that it inspires other, other things, inspires other works, and that we have uh, fun new works made out of them. And they're not derivative. They're, they are specifically supposed to be fun and sort of tongue-in-cheek. And uh, Winchester Cathedral is uh, thinking about uh, putting up a statue of her and that this is a uh, sort of this is an interesting story because it's controversial and the reason is because she died in winchester winchester cathedral is one of the great um christian sites especially in, in england but they the controversy comes from the fact that they want to put up a statue of her in the church and so at a public meeting uh, recently in Winchester, a lot of the uh, many of the residents were concerned that specifically that this would cause a lot of, as it says in a different article, in a Guardian article I recently read, um, many American tourists coming to take selfies uh, with Jane, you know, Jane Austen statue inside of the cathedral, and they didn't want to Disneyfy her image and especially the site. And I think this is I, I have a, a complex take on this, I, I suppose, which is that. I love statues of literary figures, of course. You know, I, I love literature, and I think that these are great cultural markers. But the but the the interesting thing and the interesting times that we live in mean that statues, obviously, statues have a political <laughs> have a political implication. Um, but this one's interesting because it's it's inside. The, I think it's my take is that this is inappropriate inside of the cathedral. It's great to have a statue of Jane Austen. You can go to Central Park and look at statues of famous writers anywhere in the world and look at look at their statues. There are statues of Rambeau all over Paris. Um, and I understand um, it's well-meaning and, you know, they, that she stands for a kind of moral certitude and her her books are 
high-minded and wholesome in a way that we don't really get much now. But putting her inside the cathedral, uh, it poses a number of different um, a, d- a number of different problems. Mainly that, you know, we we see the denigration of especially holy sites, especially now with things going on, and and I think that it's important that we keep grounds sacred, literally sacred grounds sacred. And um, the the other interesting problem is the. <laughs> is the disneyfication of this figure and i understand that's a pretty uh prescient thing for people to protest um at this meeting because because i i've been thinking i've been ruminating on this all day and jane austen is sort of perfect for this sort of image it's like it surprises me that her character hasn't been hasn't been latched onto by something like disney yet um because it's sort of perfect for that but Number one, um, Jane Austen hated publicity. She's like you, we were talking in the break, she published her, her novels anonymously. Um, she was uh, particularly insular. Um, and that, in a way, is irrelevant in terms of what she has become, in terms of her literary, her literary figure. But there are no uh, portraits of Jane Austen, no uncontested portraits. We, they said, we're going to keep it close, as close as we know to her height, 5'7". And I thought, it's <laughs> very odd. How do they... They must have done medical research to find that she was five seven, or they just decided, okay, she was five seven. I don't know, um, <laughs> but I just find it odd. And you know, the portrait of her—I mean, the, the statue—I'm I'm sure will be tasteful. They've already got the funding for it. Um, who knows if they'll actually put it inside the church, wherever they wherever they put it? I'm sure it'll be a tasteful statue. Um, but it is odd. It's an it's an odd it's an odd conflict at a time when there's so much going on in the world and the the. The things that you would think would be just green lit are all of a sudden controversial for a number of reasons. So I found it an interesting story. Yeah, it, it, it's it's very odd. It is odd. Odd is right. I mean, it, it's not like we're talking about Virginia Woolf or Sylvia Plath here. Uh-huh. I mean, this is Jane Austen, for God's sakes. I mean, if if any author deserves to be uh, in any cathedral, I think Jane Austen probably checks those boxes boxes what what this what this controversy tells me more than anything is what brits think of americans we don't want those bloody yanks coming into winchester cathedral and taking selfies that kind of says it all right there there's your controversy right there yeah yeah the the quote from the article was literally selfie taking americans um (laughs) desecrating our site and i just thought that was I thought that was very funny, but probably very true. I mean, anybody who's been to London, I've spent significant time in London. I lived in England for two years and the UK for five years. And one, one thing that's, that's amazing about London is that you, you go to London as American and you're, you're like, where my whole country is here. I haven't heard a single English accent. Americans love London and that's, that's great. Uh, That's wonderful. But I understand the, sort of bursting in the doors and you know t- taking selfies with this picture i i think it's very funny uh, but it's a serious you know it's a serious issue i suppose it's interesting you brought up the sylvia plath thing because there's also a, a thing with her death which is that the grave of ted hughes her her husband who was the poet laureate is is desecrated i think every year yearly people will go and try to destroy his headstone uh because of the complex complicated uh, stuff that went on with Ted Hughes and, and Sylvia Plath. So it's, it's interesting how these characters continue to uh, inspire controversy even after the death. 
Yeah. I would recommend a uh, a game trail camera or something, you know, a, a hunter cam perhaps on that uh, on that cemetery plot. I don't know, just thinking. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Put it put it in the woods, right, or put it in the in the verdant fields of Hampshire, right, where people can go and visit it and be in the great outdoors <laughs> and take selfies all day long. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's very interesting about Jane Austen. It'll be interesting to see if the the church actually accepts it, where it actually ends up, and if uh, selfie taking Americans will. Uh, do you think that's actually something that the Brits should be worried about? I mean, do are is there that much interest in Jane Austen and, and among American tourists? You think like maybe we can dispel this uh, concern for them. Well. There is. I mean, th I think it is honestly a worry. Um, I think, well, Winchester, which I've been to, and and two of my really good friends um, are from there, and I've I've spent some time in Winchester, and it's people go there to see the cathedral. It, Winchester is a it's a magnificent cathedral, and again, it's it's one of the big big sites. It's it's old. And it's a, it's the, the cathedral is obviously a Christian site and it's beautiful and people are going to go regardless. Um, but it's interesting, I guess, determining the behavior, but, but in terms of picking battles, you know, it's not just the Americans who are taking selfies, but I guess we're, we're known, we're known for this now, but it, this is a global, you know, turning your church into a TikTok uh, cathedral is, is problematic, I think, uh, for people who are serious. <laughs> um, so I can see, I can see that as an issue. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be a phenomena for all of Western culture now. <laughs> well, let's uh, let, let's pivot here a little bit. We'll have a little bit of fun yeah. since it's Friday. Um, based, what have you read about this character, uh, one Don Gorsk? I believe he is uh, a Guinness World Record holder. What uh, what was his accomplishment? Well, this is a great story. This is heartwarming heartwarming is probably not the right word to use for this he's got he definitely <laughs> has a hot heart um <laughs> yes so this guy this guy is you know we need wholesome well he ate whole big macs this guy is known as the guinness book of world records uh uh top achiever in big mac consumption in the world and he's eaten how many how many big macs is he? he's eaten tens 30, of thousands 30 they're over thirty four thousand in his lifetime he's right. seven so his so his so this guy was a former prison guard and he was known i guess as big mac he said that he uh faced relentless uh jabbing you know from from uh his co-workers and from i guess prisoners but people would sneak in big macs to give to him because he was known as you know big mac and he's eaten um tens of thousands of big macs in his life he's kept a receipt of every big mac he's ever eaten but i the fa my favorite part of the story is that he cut it down from nine big macs a day to, to just just like a couple and he and now he goes and he orders you know a bunch at once and then he reheats them later on in the week but um <laughs> you know he, he is, i think his wife said that uh she was worried about his health for a long time you know all that all that they say about fast food and then it, he lived and then her reaction was look you know you live this long i don't care what you do anymore keep eating the big macs you'll probably go through withdrawals right <laughs> if you stop eating the big macs so he said i'm just gonna his, his response is basically like i'm just gonna keep eating big macs <laughs> so, wow <laughs> find the thing that you love to do and pursue it all the way i suppose <laughs> I, well and he's done that i mean 
What I'm yeah. amazed at is the fact that the guy's still alive to tell his story. I mean, yeah. you know, it's one day people will do damn near anything to get in the Guinness Book of World Records. I mean, you always see the longest fingernails in the world and they can do nothing. And yeah. of course, then you're like, well, I don't know how you, you know, but, but at least, at least, you know, uh, this guy's still alive and kicking. How old is he? If he's eating 31,000 Big Macs, nine a day, nine a yeah. day. I always, yeah. if I go to White Castle and get five White Castle sliders, I feel like I've, I've just destroyed myself. This guy was eating nine Big Macs a day. Absolutely absurd. Yeah. Well, the, the and the, the interview is so well-written or the article is so well-written because it says things like, you know, well, back in 1981, when I started doing this and I'm like, oh my God, I was born in 1980. This guy's been eating nine Big Macs a deal a day since a year after I was born. Okay. I guess <laughs> the, 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 the documentary supersized me like totally just, that was inspiration for him. Right. He just wanted to, he wanted to go whole, yeah. like, all in on this. <laughs> I, I was going to say, it reminds me of Morgan Spurlock's uh, Super Size Me, the documentary yeah. film from 2004. Uh, you know, he documents himself eating nothing but uh, fast food every day for, I don't remember how long, a month or two. And he gained an enormous yeah. amount of weight. His uh, blood levels were all uh, questionable and <laughs> liver liver wasn't looking good. I wonder, you guys, if maybe like, if Morgan Spurlock would have just stuck with it maybe you sort of cross some sort of like rubicon where all the preservatives you eat start to like you know infest your cells and you become impervious from mickey d's well <laughs> i you know that movie came out um when i was living in new york i was living in the east village and uh it's funny because i was we rented it my friends and i like rented the movie and we were watching it and i remember my buddy going like doesn't that that place where it keeps that apartment building looks familiar and it was next door to us and and we watched the, we, we watched the, yeah and we watched the documentary and then my other friend was like you know i this sounds weird but i really want to eat a big mac right now so we went we went to the first avenue mcdonald's and ate mcdonald's like and it was his mcdonald's and one our intuition when we watched it was like why is this guy throwing up after eating one supersize me meal was he vegan before this started because that would make sense why he's got yeah. you know why why he's so resistant to this but like it, it I, I'm sorry to say, like it kind of had the opposite effect on us. I mean, we we started going to McDonald's, the same McDonald's every day in order to <laughs> supersize me. But um, but then of course they outlawed supersize in New York, probably as you know, as a I guess it was as a result of that documentary. But uh, but yeah, the, he should he should hand over any awards that he won to this guy for being the true blue, you know, Mister Big Mac. So <laughs> yeah, this 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 guy is like the Keith Richards of fast food. I mean, yeah. it's like everybody, it's like, you know, Keith has often joked that he's like, when I die, that scientists uh, have, have already asked me for my body so they can see how I managed to live as long as I have. That's going to yeah. be the same with this guy. It's like, I, I bet if you, I bet if you, if you were to give blood, it would just come out like a thick, viscous fluid, just kind of <laughs> it, you know. it comes out as the special sauce, right? <laughs> no, um, but you know, I, I think maybe this is like a, a guy's thing or, or maybe, but when you go to a restaurant, if I go to a restaurant and then I return, I always eat the same thing again. I always, you know, if I, if the club sandwich is at this place, I always order the club sandwich. So maybe, you know, he knows what he likes and he doesn't like variety and he just sticks with it. I, I don't know, but I guess this, this guy is going to be a hero for the 
memes, right? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He even mentioned that. I think that um, that factor you just talked about, he mentioned somewhere in in the write up. He's uh, a lot of us are that way. We're creatures of habits. When we go places, yeah. we find something we like. But man, this this guy definitely deserves a uh, Guinness World Record for that one. My goodness, yeah. uh, Big Mac, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember the, the pictures during the Iraq war of like, they put a McDonald's in Baghdad and then they had the Marines like guarding the McDonald's. And when Re when Revelry was playing, they were saluting the McDonald's flag, which was right next to the American flag. And I thought this guy probably saw that and felt patriotic, so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, well, Baze, we're just about out of time here, man. So uh, give a shout to your channel. Let us know what you got coming up. You got about 30 seconds. Yeah, Bayslit Analyzer at YouTube. Uh, I'll be doing a Cormac McCarthy All the Pretty Horses stream. He's the most famous book, National Book Award winner, and uh, that, that'll be my next one. I hope everybody has a great weekend out there going hard into March. Love y'all. Peace. Back All at right. <laughs> Thanks, Bays. That's Bayslit Analyzer right here on today's News Talk. Stay tuned. We got the Misty Winston show coming up next. I'm sure it's going to be a banger. Steve, Steve, thanks for everything. Uh, Kimberly yeah, crew over there in the studio. Uh, all our colleagues at TNT, thank you so much for being part of today's News Talk. Stay tuned. TNT continues now.